Welcome to the American Bankruptcy Institute podcast for December. I'm Sam Giordano, Executive Director of the ABI. ABI podcasts feature conversations with interesting people in the bankruptcy world. Our guest today certainly fits that description. He's Marcus Cole, the William Benjamin Scott and Luna M. Scott Professor of Law at Stanford Law School. A scholar of the law of bankruptcy, corporate reorganization, and venture capital, Marcus Cole takes an empirical law and economics approach to research questions. A prolific speaker and author, he has been a national fellow at the Hoover Institution and has scholarly interests that range from classical liberal political theory to natural law and the history of commercial law. Before joining the Stanford Law School faculty in 1997, Professor Cole was an associate in commercial litigation with the Chicago law firm of Mayor Brown and Platt, and he also clerked for Judge Morris Arnold of the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit. Professor Cole earned his undergraduate degree from Cornell and his law degree from Northwestern University School of Law in 1993. Thank you for joining us, Marcus. Thanks for having me. Great. Today we're going to talk about uh, some of the recent actions of both the Bush administration and the Congress to address some of the uh, current issues in home mortgage foreclosures and the crisis that's currently raging uh, in those areas. Every day brings a new headline about some aspect of the home foreclosure contagion. Congress has been chasing these headlines, uh, seeking a legislative solution. One House-passed bill addresses the subprime mortgage meltdown by barring predatory lending, which the bill considers to be the steering of consumers into a loan that the borrower lacks a reasonable ability to repay or provides no tangible benefit, such as a lower interest rate. Securitizers and others in the mortgage lending food chain would be liable for any improper or predatory action by loan originators. Now, the bill received nearly 300 votes in House representatives, including some 65 Republicans. The Bush administration favors a more regulatory uh, rather than litigation approach, and the Federal Reserve has announced its own plan uh, just recently to uh, address some of the uh, home mortgage uh, foreclosure problems. Uh, Marcus, what's, what's your view of these uh, competing approaches, if you will, to uh, the predatory mortgage lending problems that have impacted the economy so much? Well, um, I think that uh, what's raised a lot of concern is that people are witnessing something they've never witnessed before, and that's uh, a record uh, rate of foreclosures. But um, it, it, it's, uh, it's not the case that uh, foreclosure is necessarily a bad thing. Uh, or that the number of foreclosures that we're seeing now are, are uh, particularly uh, alarming. Um, we know how to eliminate foreclosures. The way to eliminate uh, foreclosures is to eliminate mortgages. Um, if you have no lending taking place, you won't have foreclosures taking place. The foreclosures are a necessary complement to a healthy credit economy, and you need to... Uh, to be able to have the stick of foreclosure as um, an incentive device to make sure that uh, the commitment to pay on a mortgage is credible. Um, that being said, I think that the various uh, approaches that have been taken, um, uh, some, you know, there's there's some um, uh, they're, they're a mixed bag. They're not entirely. Um, 
bad things, but they are um, uh, not likely to be effective in other ways, and in, in some areas they, they actually may be um, good. Um, uh, so let me start with the, uh, the Barney Frank uh, uh, bill. I think that the Barney Frank bill the, is, um, is particularly bad for a, a range of reasons. Um, first, I think that uh, if you characterize all subprime lending as predatory lending, um, you can uh, you can uh, uh, dry up credit for people who might not uh, otherwise have alternatives. So you may you may um, you may stop foreclosures, you may stop um, high interest rate uh, uh, loan transactions, but uh, at the same time. Uh, you run the risk of uh, trapping a whole segment of your society in poverty um, because historically home ownership has been the route to um, prosperity and success and the and upward mobility in uh, in our society and if you eliminate the opportunity for people who are lower income to access credit markets in order to own homes, um, you uh, reduce their opportunity to, um, to pull themselves out of poverty. So first let me um, um, uh, say that I, I think that, uh, that uh, the, the problem with many of the, the uh, reactions to the current um, subprime mortgage uh, crisis that we've seen will actually exacerbate the fundamental problem. The fundamental problem is that the increasing amount of, um, for the most part, state-based uh, mortgage lending regulation has decreased the margins, um, uh, the profit margins of mortgage lenders uh, at the state level. And as a result, in the syndication markets, um, uh, those, those uh, investments are no longer good ones. And so the liquidity crisis we've witnessed is, I think, a product of increasing um, state regulation. And so anything, any approach that um, replicates the, the um, uh, regulatory devices that have led to this is only going to exacerbate the problem. So the, um, the Bush administration's approach um, is uh, uh, slightly healthier than uh, the congressional approach in the sense that, number one, it's uh, a voluntary um, uh, approach um, where uh, uh, the loan servicers uh, can choose to um, freeze rates um, uh, for a period of time. And uh, uh, while the, the voluntary nature of it um, uh, is seen as problematic by many, there, there's, uh, there's one way in which... Uh, uh, being voluntary makes it effective, and that's in that um, to the extent that loan servicing companies um, see it as profitable to uh, freeze rates rather than foreclose on uh, homes. In other words, if if uh, the servicer runs a cost-benefit analysis and determines that freezing rates uh, is actually uh, a better um, uh, a strategy than um, uh, mass foreclosures, uh, the Bush administration plan at least gives them some 
uh, measure of cover or um, uh, explanatory uh, power with respect to their investors. Um, because one of the things that they have to be concerned about are uh, complaints or lawsuits from um, investors who, in the servicing agreements, have given them discretion to, um, to take steps that maximize the value of the pool of assets um, uh, who might complain that freezing rates is an abuse of that discretion. I think that um, the Bush administration plan allows them uh, to uh, turn to those investors and say, um, not only is this not abuse of discretion, this is actually a good um, um, uh, approach, a business approach uh, going forward. Um, the, uh, the, the Fed plan is, um, is uh, viewed by many as too little uh, too late. But, uh, one of the things I like about uh, the Fed plan is that it, um, it preserves the level of autonomy and personal responsibility um, that the congressional plan seems to um, uh, ignore um, or uh, not appreciate. Um, uh, the Fed plan appears to, um, and I haven't had uh, a lot of time since it was just uh, issued yesterday, I, I haven't had a lot of time to review it, uh, but it appears um, to simply prohibit deceptive or uh, fraudulent practices. Um, and it's not particularly targeted uh, toward um, high interest rate loans or uh, subprime loans or um, uh, the terms, the underlying terms of the loan agreement. It's, uh, it's targeted more toward um, um, bad practices. And to the extent that those are taking place, they shouldn't take place. And so uh, any, any um, regulatory activity that prevents fraud or theft um, is a good regulatory activity. Uh, but to the extent that um, uh, any of these regulations or any of these plans attempt to micromanage the negotiations between borrower and lender or tries to uh, redistribute the product of those negotiations after the fact, um, then uh, we, uh, we have uh, interference in our credit markets that are going to lead to um, uh, reactions from investors. Investors can't be forced to pour their money into or invest in um, uh, credit markets, and uh, and so uh, any regulatory regime that makes uh, investing in homes uh, and credit uh, unattractive is going to cause those uh, credit markets to dry up even further. We have some uh, experience on the state level um, in this area, in an area I know that you have written about, um, in particular an empirical analysis of the 2006 Illinois Predatory Lending Act, which right. again was uh, designed uh, to protect particularly poor families in, in neighborhoods where there would be pretty clearly unequal bargaining power with, um, you know, with lenders and perhaps a lack of understanding about what the borrowers uh, were getting uh, into with respect to uh, uh, the loans. And 
And so in this case, the statute, as I understand it, required essentially a, a mortgage review board at the county level, Cook County, Illinois, um, to review all of the loans made in a certain neighborhood. And, and that had some uh, pretty clear impacts. And maybe you could tell us a little bit about what your empirical study found. Sure. Um, yeah, the, it's, a, it's a, a study. In fact, it's a, there, it's a series of studies I'm, I'm doing on um, uh, various state uh, predatory lending laws and other consumer protection laws. Um, but uh, the Illinois Fairness in, in Lending Act, as you said, this, uh, uh, enacted two years ago and went into effect last year in 
uh, a loan application in one of the targeted zip codes had to be approved by the Illinois Department of Financial and Professional Regulation. Uh, now, that approval process added, on average, 27 days to the closing of a mortgage loan, and on average, anywhere from $500 to $700 per application in cost. So anyone interested in buying a home could look at, the, uh, look at two neighborhoods, one within the targeted uh, zip code and one next to the targeted zip code, and recognize that they could have a faster closing uh, and lower loan costs if they bought in the unregulated um, neighborhood rather than in the regulated zip code. So what happened over time was a drop in home equity in in home prices in the um, targeted zip codes. Um, uh, the drops in home prices ranged anywhere from seven percent uh, in the in the one zip code on the far north side of Chicago to as much as forty five percent in one of the south side of Chicago uh, uh, zip codes. So in other words, what the Illinois Fairness and Lending Act did, in addition, by the way, uh, the, uh, in response to the act, there were as many as 30 mortgage lenders, small state-based mortgage lenders, who now refuse to lend in these particular um, targeted zip codes, in part because of the additional cost um, associated with, uh, with the new regulatory procedures. Um, so what we've, what we've seen is uh, um, that the regulation has reduced the number of foreclosures by reducing the number of loan placements. Uh, it's also taken the hard-earned equity of homeowners in these neighborhoods and um, uh, cut it almost by uh, cut their home prices almost in half. Uh, and then it's taken the most responsible people living in these neighborhoods, people who have saved up enough money to make a down payment to buy a house, and actually increase the cost of buying a house to them. Uh, so what the Illinois Fairness and Lending Act has really done, rather than protect consumers from predatory lending, they, they, they've essentially protected consumers from credit. And didn't, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but did the legislature end up repealing the law? Uh, I am not aware that they have repealed the law. Yeah, I, in fact, I, uh, the last discussions I, um, I uh, looked at, and I've, I've got to apologize, it's been... Uh, probably three or four weeks since I've taken a look at this. Um, uh, they were looking to expand the law. Now, um, expansion of the law, by the way, is um, is not as problematic as it might sound. Um, uh, there are neighborhoods like Kenilworth, Illinois, um, which is one of the wealthiest communities in the United States, uh, that even if you expanded the law to cover that um, zip code, would not affect loan placements in that zip code, in part because um, uh, the, the, every loan placement that would take place in a wealthy neighborhood would uh, automatically have its terms approved by the Department of Financial and Professional Services. But part of the reason why um, subprime loans are viewed as subprime uh, or predatory in the, in the eyes of um, uh, regulators is because of high interest rates. The high interest rates compensate the lender for the risk of, for, of um, default associated with lower income uh, of the borrower. And so even if you expanded the law to cover other neighborhoods, it wouldn't do as much damage uh, in those other neighborhoods as it does 
to four people who are who are targeted by um, these protective measures. Um, I have not uh, heard that it's been uh, repealed or that there's an attempt to repeal it. Okay. I thought there was some uh, concern, at least on the part of even the Illinois governor, who had uh, been made aware of some of the uh, the effects. Yeah, and um, and the home sales dropping and and the uh, sort of opposite effect uh, impacting the people in the in the forest community losing uh, equity and value. Um, yeah, yeah you, their, may, you may you home. may have more recent information than I have. I I I I, I just simply haven't looked at it in three weeks. Well, clearly the um, consumer protection laws at both the federal and state level. Uh, have a lot of popular appeal, and I think um, probably this Illinois law illustrates that as well as some of the momentum that we're we're seeing here in Washington on some of these issues, and um, it, you know at least politically, um, and, sure. and in the face of consumers being uh, whether they're being taken advantage of by the small print in their credit card agreements or by the terms of their uh, no money down, no questions asked, interest only home mortgages. Uh, at least products that uh, were issued uh, a few years ago, uh, which then have upward adjustments beyond what they can afford, uh, causing a number of the problems that we're we're seeing today. Now, your you've been you've been talking about, and certainly your writing and your and your advocacy is is skeptical of sort of legislative uh, responses, which is uh, pretty unique among academics. I think you'd agree. Yeah, um, uh, but but is there a danger in having too much faith, uh, either in markets to correct? Um, I mean, can there be such a thing? You know, clearly, as market failure or regulatory failure, and clearly the uh, uh, the Fed and others are now being uh, having the finger pointed at them in the in the home mortgage area for not doing enough to head off these risky products. And being slow to react to what has become a contagion. So, so, how do you address this sort of market failure or regulatory failure? Yeah, I see. I, I think it's impossible to to make a determination as to whether markets are, uh, uh, fail uh, uh, in the presence of, of regulation. Whenever you have um, uh, mar- market distortions created by regulation, uh, it's unfair to claim that the that the market is failing. Uh, when in fact it's uh, it's very likely that uh, the intervention in the market has caused uh, the undesired um, uh, result. So I, I think we're I think we witness regulatory failure much more often than we witness uh, uh, market failure. And in fact, unless you give markets an opportunity um, to operate, uh, it's uh, I, I think it's unfair to claim that they uh, that they fail. Um, in this particular area. Uh, I'm not sure that we've seen a market failure. In fact, um, uh, what this uh, may represent is um, is a well-functioning uh, market to the extent that um, uh, lenders who are overreaching or borrowers who are overextending themselves are now being uh, punished with market discipline. Um, lenders who overextended or overreached uh, well, are not in a, business now. Pardon? A lot of them are out of business. Now. Yeah, a lot of them are out of business. A lot of them are um, um, fighting for their lives right now, and um, the market is exacting discipline upon um, companies that um, were lending on 
um, no money down or lending with uh, very little proof of, uh, of uh, income or resources. Um, the lenders who got uh, um, uh, overzealous uh, are, are bearing the brunt of uh, much of the market uh, market correction. Uh, and I think the same thing could be said for, for borrowers. Uh, a recent uh, study done by the San Francisco Chronicle showed that one out of five foreclosures in the San Francisco Bay Area involved um, uh, home speculators uh, who had more than one home in foreclosure. In other words, one out of five of the homes that were being foreclosed upon were um, uh, not the primary residence of the of the of the uh, homeowner. They were um, uh, uh, multiple dwellings. Uh, I'm sorry, multiple um, uh, uh, um, homes that were being foreclosed uh, uh, that were invested in by um, uh, uh, speculators who were attempting to um, cash in on the rising um, uh, real estate market. Um, and uh, overextended themselves, and the lenders who lent against these homes um, lent um, uh, uh, in, an, in, an, in an environment of speculation as well, and they, they've, they've uh, also paid um, the price. Uh, it also, the, the San Francisco Chronicle study also showed that uh, the homes that are in foreclosure in the Bay Area, uh, over 80 percent um, involve homes upon which the, uh, the mortgage uh, uh, was uh, represented 100% financing of the, of, the, of the home price. There was no money down on over 80% of these homes. And another 13% had less than 5% down on the home. So um, it's not uh, necessarily the case that the market failed in this particular um, um, Situation. It's, it's uh, in fact may be the proper function or functioning of the market to discipline um, speculators uh, and um, lenders who lend uh, outside of the um, the bounds of caution. We pause this week's podcast to bring you bankruptcy in the news. Legislation addressing the subprime mortgage crisis will be toward the top of the agenda as the 110th Congress returns for its second session in January. The Senate and House will work to reconcile legislation making Federal Housing Administration loans available to subprime borrowers facing foreclosure. The Senate passed version would lower the down payment required of low- and middle-income homebuyers who obtain federally insured loans and also allow larger loans. It also would make it easier for homeowners with adjustable rate loans due to reset to get FHA-backed loans. The Senate FHA measure must be reconciled with the House passed version of the bill, which had higher loan limits and more flexible down payment requirements. The House legislation would also give the FHA discretion to charge different rates to buyers based on their credit records and extend the maximum mortgage term to 40 years from 35 years. The White House has indicated that President Bush will sign the final bill. Legislation allowing bankruptcy judges to modify certain home mortgages in Chapter 13 
also could be headed to the House floor for a vote early in the session. The bill narrowly passed the House Judiciary Committee on December the 12th after amendments limited the bill to subprime or non-traditional loans that are in foreclosure or at least 60 days overdue. The measure approved by the committee would also require judges to determine if debtors qualify for relief under the current means test. The bill applies to borrowers who took out loans from January 1st, 2000 to the day of enactment. Senate Banking Chairman Chris Dodd also introduced an anti-predatory lending bill on December the 14th that would place greater regulation on mortgage brokers and require investors who own troubled loans to rework those mortgages so homeowners can be placed into better rates. Dodd's bill differs in some key aspects from the legislation the House passed on November the 16th, as Dodd is targeting the mortgage broker industry, which was responsible for originating about 70% of subprime loans. The bill would require brokers to have a fiduciary responsibility for their customers. It also would more severely limit the use of so-called yield spread premium than the House bill would. Like the House bill, though, the Dodd measure would require that originators must ensure that the borrower has an ability to repay their subprime or non-traditional loan, and that refinancing would have a net tangible benefit to the borrower. This has been John Hartgen of the ABI. Thank you for listening, and now back to this week's podcast. A, uh, a story published in the uh, San Francisco Chronicle on December 9th um, recounted the study of it and it uh, resulted of an admittedly uh, unscientific um, website poll uh, asking uh, readers um, what they thought of the mortgage freeze uh, plan um, that the administration had announced, and I was shocked by uh, the results. Um, some 8% uh, thought the plan to freeze interest rates, um, subprime interest rates, was a good idea because it kept people in their homes. 89% um, said it was a bad idea because it, quote, bails out reckless banks and borrowers. And the balance said, um, uh, what about me, um, since only a fraction of those who would meet the criteria are going to uh, qualify, which suggests that um, even at the borrower level, um, some people believe the government shouldn't be meddling in contracts between borrowers and lenders. Yeah, I have to say that I'm, uh, I live in the Bay Area, and I was... Uh, I was uh, shocked at the results of, uh, of that poll. But if you think about it, um, uh, it, 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 um, it, it makes sense that uh, people in the Bay Area would feel this way. Uh, after all, um, uh, Bay Area residents uh, spend a higher percentage of their income on housing than um, any other um, uh, region in the country. And so, uh, in order to be able to have a place to live in the Bay Area, you have to uh, make a lot of sacrifices and um, make a lot of hard choices. And so, um, it stands to reason that they might take umbrage 
at um, the government attempting to intervene to rescue people who made reckless choices after after they had to make a lot of sacrifices uh, in order to, to, to stay in their own home. Um, so um, that sort of makes sense. But, you know, on another level, um, uh, I'm, I was also surprised because um, you know, we see in this area, particularly uh, among academics uh, who study this stuff, um, that uh, there's, there's a sense that we live in an entitlement society, that... Um, that the middle class in particular is entitled to a particular lifestyle, and that they're entitled to stay in, the, in their middle class home, and they're entitled to drive cars with leather interior, and they're entitled to a whole range of things that um, uh, strike someone like me who grew up in the inner city in the projects uh, as uh, strange. You know, the, the middle class appears to, to claim entitlement to... Um, uh, luxuries um, that uh, you know I grew up without, and um, it's interesting to me that uh, that um, that people in the Bay Area who tend to um, uh, 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 express uh, very left-leaning um, uh, 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 ideology with respect to um, entitlements. Uh, don't uh, embrace this as a, as an extension of that um, entitlement mentality. Um, but I'm I'm I think it's uh, I think it simply reflects the uh, the the personal experience of, uh, of people who've had to struggle to keep their own homes without help from the government and a belief that um, that uh, there has to be some level of personal responsibility for this economy to work. Let's um, let's talk about the other um, current proposal that would amend Chapter 13 of the Bankruptcy Code to permit debtors to uh, strip the mortgage down to the fair market value of the home, paid out over uh, a period well beyond the typical Chapter 13 repayment plan, mm -hmm. and a new interest rate that would be um, uh, confirmed and approved by the bankruptcy judge. Now, proponents um, say that this recognizes simply the economic reality. The house isn't worth what the loan says. The lender won't get any more than that in a foreclosure. Uh, home values in neighborhoods where there are foreclosures uh, drop precipitously. And so let's just simply recognize the economic reality of today, save the transaction cost of the foreclosure process, save the further diminution of home values in neighborhoods, and keep the borrower in their home. Um, that's an argument that's been made before. It was made in the mid-1980s when, uh, during the midst of the farm crisis, uh, Congress enacted Chapter 12 uh, as a temporary measure to stave off uh, farm foreclosures and to prevent free-falling uh, farm land values. So what's, what's wrong with that analysis today, if anything? Well, there's a lot wrong with it, um, and it starts with the, uh, the understanding of economics and economic analysis. Economic analysis is not about dollars and cents, and it's not about uh, the bottom line at the end of the day. Economic, economics as a science is a social science, and it's a study of behavior. And at its core is the effects of anything on 
uh, individual decision makers' incentives. And so the problem with a plan like that is that even though it recognizes the financial reality at the end of the day that the, a stripped-down uh, collateral um, is only worth what it's worth, uh, it doesn't take into account the ex-ante incentive effects of such a rule. In other words, one of the things that a lender can count on when a lender makes a secured credit arrangement with any borrower, and in this case we're talking about a secured credit arrangement between a homeowner and the lender, is that um, the borrower anticipates the possibility of having to lose the asset to the secured creditor. And because of that, the, the, the borrower's incentives are aligned with the secured creditor. When you take away that threat and uh, create an environment where you're giving assurance to the borrower that their secured asset can't be taken away from them, uh, you've reduced the incentive to uh, align their, you've you reduced the ability to align their incentives with the, the creditor's incentive. So now, a borrower who fears loss of the asset, and that's heightened, by the way, in the, in the, in the situation of a homeowner, uh, rather than a business that might simply lose a machine or a factory, a homeowner who, who loses their home because they have so much uh, tied up in and so much of their own personal identity tied up into the home, um, has an heightened incentive to, um, to repay and to um, um, honor their commitment to repay uh, the lender. So if you reduce this incentive to repay, you've essentially reduced the return available, the expected value of the return available to the, 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 the creditor, the lender. So what does this do to the lender's incentives? The lender uh, is confronting now an increased risk of default because there's an increased risk of strip down in Chapter 13. And that increased risk has to be compensated for across the board with uh, a, a higher risk premium charge in the interest rate. So now you've got the creditor uh, charging a higher interest rate um, uh, because of the risk premium associated with the additional risk of strip down. And uh, that's going to reduce the amount of credit that's available to uh, potential home buyers. Uh, so all you do uh, when you uh, 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 try to accomplish this ex post redistribution is simply uh, restructure the ex ante um, playing field so that um, Creditors are less likely to lend except at higher interest rates. And as a result, um, borrowers or home, potential home buyers are less likely to be able to buy um, as a result. Now, this is only at the margin. So you're simply going to see some reduction in the number of loan placements, and you'll see some increase in um, uh, interest rates with respect to homes. But it's all associated with the incentives that are created by, by um, the uh, playing field that you're, that you're structuring in this way. During the, uh, the, the recent House uh, uh, hearings on the uh, Chapter 13 legislation, uh, one of the uh, economists uh, uh, testified that the bill would not have an adverse effect on, on mortgage markets, including the secondary market. In other words, that, that 
the markets would um, adjust to this new set of ground rules that, that Congress created. Do you think there's something wrong with that analysis? Sure. Over the long run, over the long run, uh, the markets will adjust, and um, uh, uh, the markets will essentially price the risk into the into the um, environment. But it's, it simply can't be the case that if you add cost or risk to um, the, the um, uh, lender-borrower relationship, that, uh, that that's not going to be reflected over the long run in uh, primary and secondary markets. It necessarily has to be factored in. So the, 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 the markets will settle down, but they're going to settle at a place that may be undesirable when you, when you compare it to where they are right now. Well, uh, we'll have to see how uh, this plays out over the next uh, several months here in Washington. Um, the bills have some uh, momentum. One bill has already passed uh, the House with regard to um, home mortgage uh, stripped down in, in Chapter 13. And um, again, with uh, the continued uh, concern being... Uh, displayed in the daily headlines, um, there is a uh, unmistakable momentum um, in the direction of a, of a bankruptcy fix, and we'll have to see if that comes to pass, and then uh, if it does, then to uh, measure the effects to see uh, um, which, which model uh, bears up uh, to reality. Yeah. Uh, Professor Cole, that's all the time uh, we have for today. I thank you very much for sharing your provocative thoughts with us on these very important issues. Thank you so much for with us. Well, thank we, you very much for having me. We also thank our audience for joining us. Uh, you can see the full list of all the podcast guests at the homepage of ABI, and that's at abiworld.org. So until next time for ABI Podcast, this is Andrew Donovan saying have a great day.